Look at this guy. Look at this guy. Can you hear me now? That's the voice of UFC bantamweight Aljamain Sterling. And I'm Chris Weibin. This is Won't Back Down, presented by Bio Accelerator. So if you're wondering why I haven't been able to put out a podcast over the last two weeks is because I um, had an additional surgery on my leg. The fibula bone, which is the bone on the back of the leg, um, is non-union, which basically means it's not healing. Uh, So they thought they were going to just go in there and put one plate and uh, push those bones together and then let it heal that way. But when they got in there, they actually realized it was worse than they originally expected and what they saw on the uh, the CAT scan x-ray. Uh, so they had to put two plates on, a whole bunch of screws, and bond those bones together. Uh, so I basically have more metal in my leg than I have bone at this point. Um, so I feel like it's not that bad of a setback for me uh, in order to get back to fighting than than what I was originally at to begin with. So I'm not that discouraged. Um, just a couple months of rehab on this, and hopefully I'll get back into the gym and be back to where I was at originally. Anyway, for today's podcast, we have Aljamain Sterling, the 135-pound champion. Uh, Aljamain Sterling and I, we actually grew up a, a town away from each other. We trained at the gym, same gym with uh, Sarah and Longo, and at my gym, Longo and Weidman's Mixed Martial Art Academy on Long Island. And um, he really comes from uh, a tough background, has gone through a lot in his life, and his life story is so inspirational how you could come from nothing and really make something uh, out of yourself. He never victimized himself. Nobody in his, in his family went to college. This kid ended up going to college, uh, wrestled and became a multiple time all American, got his bachelor's degree and then started fighting. And now he's a world champion. And it really is an amazing story, but there's so much hate on him now where nobody really appreciates that he might be the most hated person in mixed martial arts history. (laughs) maybe top 10, top five, but it is just unbelievable how he's getting so much hate, all because the way he won his world championship. He was facing this guy named Peter Yan, a complete savage. He went out there. He had, he was losing the fight. Uh, he was in the fourth round. He was pushing the action. Aljamain was getting super tired. Uh, the kid started you know, really imposing his will on Aljamain. And as Aljamain was down, there was no questions. He was down. He was a downed opponent. And you're not allowed to knee or kick people in the head when they're a downed opponent. Peter Jan asked his corner, can I, can I knee him? And I don't know really what was said. There's some different views on what was said between his coaches. But either way, he blatantly kneed Aljamain in the head hard as hell uh, while he was obviously a downed opponent. So the ref stops the fight. Aljamain ends up getting the belt and he doesn't take the belt at first. This is probably what pissed people off the most. He doesn't get the belt at first. Uh, doesn't, doesn't put it on for the, when Dana White, you know, tries to put it around his waist um, because he didn't want to win that way. But not too long after that, that night he's with his friends and family. They want him to put the belt on. He starts realizing coming to, he's not as concussed that, you know what? I should be proud of this moment. I've been through a lot of my life. It's not my fault. I was need when I was down. I'm going to take a picture with his belt. And then ever since then, people have hated him. And he's like, you know what? Instead of running from this and, you know, trying to beg for people to like me, I'm going to just keep wearing the belt. 
And that's what he's doing. And so basically all these people hate him. And now on this podcast, you'll get to hear his side of the story. And I just want you guys to give me some feedback and let me know after hearing his side of the story, if you think it's a logical reason, if there's any logical reason to dislike Aljamain Sterling, that is my question to you guys. Um, We get into a whole bunch of things. Uh, we get into his pre-UFC journey. We talk about our different ways we approach trash talk, uh, why it's important for athletes to speak their minds, not just not just about sports, but maybe politics and other things that most people try to stay away from. Uh, we get into the Peter Jan drama and their upcoming rematch and so much more. So that's all coming up in a moment. But before we begin, I want to tell you about Won't Back Down's presenting sponsor, BioAccelerator. BioAccelerator is the world leader in stem cell therapy and regenerative medical research. Through the use of their powerful golden stem cells, they help patients heal from joint and orthopedic injuries, autoimmune disorders, spine and disc damage, and neurological trauma. I'm actually going to Medellin, Colombia in a few weeks to go get the treatment. I cannot wait. If you remember back when I had Omar Crispy Avila on my podcast, he had 104 surgeries. He just got back from Medellin, Colombia at BioAccelerator. And he is ranting and raving how he has this wound that hasn't been able to heal on the nub that goes into his prosthetic leg. Hasn't been able to heal. And he's been showing me pictures. It is healing incredibly fast since getting the stem cell. And so it makes me even more excited to get down there and get myself taken care of. All right. Here's my conversation with the undisputed bantamweight champion of the world, Aljamain Sterling. All right, Al Jermaine. Well, thank you for coming on the Won't Back Down show. How we doing? Good, good. You know, uh, every day I wake up and I tell myself, you know what? It's a good day to never back down. That's right. Why do you tell yourself that? Because I was coming on the show. I had to mentally prepare myself, you know? I know. And <laughs> I'm going to have to blow you up your spot for the Mr. Tech Savvy, uh, you know, podcast extraordinaire, YouTube extraordinaire. This guy was the latest we've ever had. I mean, we were supposed to start at 9 a.m., now 925 yeah. and we're starting I've, I've had some you know champions on my show before no one has ever <laughs> done this to me no one's ever been a half an hour late to my show why do you feel like the need why do you feel like you had to do that to me well technically not a half hour but um almost there i had to get the, i had to get the camera set up man i want to use my real camera but uh this one's okay but it's not like hd you know you know i want to give you the best you know i come on the, the won't back down show i want to give the best you know it is a good presentation. You look good. The hair is puffed out the right way. Um, I don't know. I like those are like real chains you're wearing now. Is that one chain or two chains? Come on, baby. Come on. That's baby. two chains. Two, two chains? chains. Two chains and they're real <laughs> chains. You used to have fake chains, and then now you since you became no, 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 a no. champion, you got real chains. Let, let's let's be correct about this. I only had one fake chain, and it was the huge gold chain. Every other thing I wore was real. I don't wear fake stuff. All right. Well, let's just say the quality has gone up. Is that fair to say? Well, other than the big gold chain, that was the only gold-plated fake chain. Other than that, everything else, 14 karat. I think karat. the other stuff was fading. I don't know. 18 karat. All right. Well, hang on. Let's go into uh, how we actually know each other. Um, I think that's probably the best way to start. So me and you both grew up on Long Island, Nassau County, one town away from each other. You were Uniondale slash Roosevelt, and I was Baldwin. Yes, sir. And uh, both wrestled. And I remember, so I'm, you're five years younger than me. So I remember when uh, I was in college, still focusing on, uh, still paying attention to high school wrestling. I remember seeing you coming up 
and uh, being a talented wrestler for Uniondale. Uh, then you went out to Cortland. I kind of stopped following college wrestling, so I didn't really follow you out there. Um, but basically, fast forward to I'm fighting, and I, I, I remember being told you were fighting. And being from Long Island, being from the town next to me, the fact that you weren't on Long Island and training with us was just weird to me. Because I know you went upstate, you went to Cortland, and uh, you started your MMA career right up there and started training um and it was just like bro we got such a good team we got great coaches uh you know we're creating world champions down on long island like why isn't aljamain down here and then i believe we've seen each other at a ring of combat ring of combat bro, i'll yeah. let you finish i'll let you finish because i know you uh you've told this story before it was actually my worst performance i think in terms of like how tired i was and uh it was just a straight up jujitsu match and wrestling match we just hugged each other the it's like we both had this mental agreement that we were just going to grapple and that's what we did <laughs> That and was a split decision, right? That was a decision. Yeah. The third pro fight. Um, for some reason, I was very, very exhausted. And I think it's it's kind of like the tell of my career. Like sometimes I'll have like great performances and then sometimes I'll be exhausted, like the Caraway fight. And then you have the Pedion fight. Whereas like I, I figure it out and then I go back and do something completely wrong. Mm -hmm. But um, after that fight, I was walking down the halls in the uh, casino floor. We ran into each other. And you asked me. Um, like, what are you doing all the way upstate? Aren't you a Long Island guy? Yeah. And um, I was like, hey, I'm finishing up college. So I was like, when I finish up school, I'll reach out. And I think I messaged you on Facebook. I was like, yeah, I, well, I didn't think you were going to even everything. respond. Yeah, I, I didn't think you were going to even respond. I was like, maybe he was just talking, man. Like, I don't know. But but hang on. Let's just rewind a second. So I was, this is 2011? 2011. So I was just got I was just in the UFC. It wasn't like I was this big name or anything. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like I was a celebrity. Yeah. But, but you felt you felt like as if I was too big of a name to like be even wasting my time with you? No, I just felt you didn't know who I was outside uh, of that. I was a wrestler from Long Island. So it was like it's like you gave the invite and maybe it was like, ah, just that one time that you know, like the right place, right opportunity. And it was like he didn't take it, ah, that's it. So yeah. that's why I was like, uh, let me just see. And, uh, you know, I plan on coming back to Long Island anyway. Uh, the gym up there wasn't doing too well. And uh, the way everything was going in terms of coaching, not really, should I say the lack of coaching, it was kind of like running my own thing and not even knowing what I was doing. Well, now I kind of have the experience to run, to know what I need to do kind of thing. Um, you know, so it's a, it's a little bit different now. But back then, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just kind of just following the, the, the sheep, following the trend. Yeah, your first couple of amateur fights i remember you were saying that you, you it was just like i'm just taking these guys down right you weren't even you were, were you even practicing striking at that point yeah but it was the ugliest thing and it was just stuff i saw on youtube <laughs> so i would do like the anderson silver jump switch kick i would try the flying knee to the chest it was like the, anything i saw on tv that looked good i was yeah. doing it and that, that's pretty much how i was fighting so that's why people would call me like a young john jones because everything i did was so flashy and so unorthodox and it very it was like super untechnical. It was just like out of nowhere, instead of setting up a jab, this guy is doing a flying jump knee. Out of nowhere, instead of this guy setting up a jab again, he's doing some spinning back kick. You know, so yeah, yeah, yeah. that was just kind of like my MO. And then I'll try to take you down once you start backing up, take you down, and uh usually submit the guy. It's funny because you are like a you're a big thinker, you know, you're you're obsessed with the game, you're big into strategy, and um so it's funny to think that in the back, back in the day, when you first started, when probably more nervous 
then than you are now about fights because like yeah you know you 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 obviously don't really trust where you're at skill wise at that point that you were just kind of going with it just going with the flow yeah just kind of just make it all happen and whatever felt right i would just do it that's kind of how i was with wrestling as well but it's nice to see like transition kind of understanding where you were and where you want to be and i think that's helped me out a lot especially coaching as you know uh coaching wrestling i think that helped open up my mind in terms of why understanding why you do certain things not just doing it because someone told you to do it understanding why you're doing it the principles behind it and the same thing with uh with mma learning why you're doing certain things like i watch fights now when i do my podcast so that i can break it down and it also helps me so then when i see something good i take some of the stuff that i see that people are doing and i'll bring it into the training room and have the guys doing that as well as myself you know so I think it helps you become more of a student of the game and always leaves room for improvement to keep constantly learning. Yeah. Uh, when you were at Cortland, though, you weren't you weren't into this at all. Like when you were straight up wrestling, uh, were you watching like the best D1 guys and, and like, all right, this is what I need to do. And then doing everything you need to do in order to become the best wrestler that you wanted to be. Well, I was a broke college kid. So yeah. I couldn't afford flow wrestling. <laughs> yeah. well, we even have flow wrestling back when I like flow wrestling came. Maybe yeah, actually it came did. like we did. sophomore year, junior year. It started be- being a thing, but you need to be, I don't know if you remember, but you needed like the college. The only way to be a part of flow wrestling, I think you needed to, that the team needed to give you like a password. Yeah. But like you also gave me, I don't know. I didn't have to, I didn't pay. A, I think the team, pay. I think the team paid Hofstra paid. For us to, but Hofstra, you probably, Cortland probably didn't have the budget to pay, you know? So you guys. They they might have paid like later on, but when it first came out, it was one of those things. So anything I did watch and learn, like Ben Ashkin, I watch a lot of his stuff and it Mm. was mostly on Flow Wrestling or uh, YouTube. So that's, I would just take my notepad, write down notes of what he was doing from positions that I was kind of good in, but still trying to figure out and learn from him that way and uh, just try it out in the practice room. And then let's talk about your college career, like as far as your accolades and stuff. How do you feel like you did and what did you accomplish? Uh, two-time All-American, D3. Uh, I took fourth and then I took sixth my senior year, 133 and then 141. Um, if I had to describe it, I would say underachiever, I would say. because so I think I had the tools to be a lot better, but I just didn't have the confidence back then um, and what I was doing and, and why I was doing it. Uh, I didn't really trust the coaching staff as well in terms of like their knowledge of the sport, even though they were so much older than me, <laughs> but sometimes, yeah. you know, that's just one of those things you could get in your own way, especially being a young kid thinking that, you know, it all. Um, and you just, sometimes I used to just think my way was better, even though I would get mixed results. And then I finally bought in and that's when I actually all American. So finally buying in kind of helped me realize that I could have achieved so much more if I had just bought in a little bit earlier, maybe I could have, achieve my potential, you know, whatever that yeah. could have been, you know, I always thought I could have been a champ. Like I had the tools to become a champ. I just never, I just never, well, I can't say I didn't have the opportunity. I just, I don't think I, uh, had the, I just didn't, I just didn't achieve it. That's plain and simple. Yeah. Without you trying to make excuses for yourself. Yeah. You're doing mean, that. But bro, this is the won't back down show. We have to be completely honest with ourselves. Any of your, like anything that I see, I don't see it as excuses because it's, you're happy where you're at. It's not like you're making yeah. an excuse. Like, oh, the only reason I lost to this kid is because of this. Like, it's, you're just being honest about what you should have done differently and probably would have had better results 
And that could help other people that are in that same situation right now. And they're wrestling in college and they need to get their head straight. Like I, I was similar, similar, man. Like I, I didn't have the, the maturity, I think mentally, uh, to realize like where your mind needs to be at, to be successful. You know, I, I was, I was, I guess, talented too. Like, you know, kind of winning came easier for me, I think, than a lot of other people. And, um, because of that, I wasn't like, I didn't work as hard as I really should have. And uh, I remember seeing all these guys who probably weren't as, as talented as me becoming way more successful than me, becoming the national champions. You know, I always wanted to be a national champion. I just kept becoming all American because I didn't have the confidence because I wasn't working really as hard as some of these other guys. Like these guys were coming, they were waking up early doing strength and conditioning. That was like a mandatory workout, you know, I had to do. That's like three or four times a week. Then school you gotta go to school in between this schooling they would go and drill with the coaches or drill with another partner i wasn't doing that i'm all right i'm chilling i got we got practice at 3 30 where you know three o'clock <laughs> whatever and i would go to that you know and like that when it came to like drilling and all that crap i i'm just trying i was just trying to go through i was going through the motions until we did live and live i always killed it in live like i love going live i'm just competitive um but the fact that I didn't put the effort into the drilling and do the extras, um, I think is what held me back with my wrestling career. Yeah. I will, I will say the difference between me, not all American, not even going to nationals and then going to nationals the next year and then placing the first year was that drilling session in between classes and then yeah. going to practice. And that was the difference. I would do that three, four times a week. And it made a huge difference from the summertime to the next time I stepped on there with the next all American kid. I wrestled, I beat him kid from Mythica rival college. And um, he beat me five times before I finally beat him. There'd be times I'd be winning and I'd just be a mental midget and just somehow find a way to lose. Yeah, <laughs> it was the I'm worst well, experience. Yeah. Been there so many times. Yeah. Yeah. And then I finally beat him. Um, so I beat him three out of the five times, the eight times that we wrestled. And uh, I got the last one to go for third and fourth at the national tournament. So that that was one of my most proudest moments. But um, yeah, I know what you mean, man. That mental maturity you have to have to to work hard and not be outworked by guys that aren't as talented as you. So it's um, it sucks sometimes to see that because you feel like you deserve it. But at the end of the day, they deserve it because they put the time in. You know? Yeah, That's absolutely. I know, but it sucks. I don't know if I just ha like. I feel like it's. I feel like most people probably same thing with fighting. Like seeing people who have a lot of potential, not reached their potential is probably one of the worst things to see. And that's probably one of my biggest fears when I got into fighting was like, Hey man, like I, this is probably my last athletic thing I'm doing in the rest of my life. Like I don't want to have regrets. Like I did not live up to the potential, the God, the gifts that God gave me. I'm glad you got your, uh, your pillow around your neck. You know, <laughs> is that because you had neck surgery? No, <laughs> this is my, my trophy from uh, Australia and yeah. my trophy from Georgia. <laughs> the Republic of Georgia, bro. I don't know who has the worst attention span, me or you. Probably me. <laughs> who do you think has the worst attention span? It definitely it has to be you. You changed the subject. I didn't change the subject. You changed the subject. Yeah, but you did that to me on purpose. You had to put the <laughs> neck pillow on your neck. You had to do that to me during while, while I'm in the middle of talking. What the hell was I saying? Um, Fighting an athletic career, last Wait. chance, last opportunity, never back down. Oh yeah, yeah. Basically, you know, when I got to MMA, it was like, all right, all the things that I seen, I did wrong in wrestling it was that was a learning experience you know so i appreciate the lack of you know discipline i had in wrestling because it, it taught me what i needed to do when i got into mma 
And and to be honest, even the losses I've had in MMA, it I really went back to kind of some of my old habits. You know, I I started uh, not to make this all about me, but um, I just think this is good for people to hear uh, in general for the both. You know, coming from the both of us is that like when you're not doing everything you possibly can, and when you try and do less as opposed to more you know, you, you start falling apart. And I, st- I told you this when you became champion, that was like my advice to you. Do you remember me telling you this? Yeah. Yeah. We like, spoke, you know. like one of the regrets I have small regret, you know, I'm very proud of the career I have. And, and I think I have some big moments ahead, but, um, when I went, once I became champion and then I defended my belt once. And then, uh, really after I fought Leo to Machida, because, I beat Anderson Silva twice, but people were still not convinced. And I'm like, all right, I got it. Leoto Machida is like really my first big title defense. And I did everything I possibly could have great habits. I was working my ass off and uh, I went out there and had a great fight. Going into my Vitor Belfort fight, you know, I had some injuries and different things that were going on and I had to pull out of fights. And so the pressure was on from like, as far as like criticism from people. And I wanted to just, um, shut everybody up. So I would do less thinking, all right, less I do would make it less likely I'll get injured in training. So I don't have to pull out of a fight because I can't deal with like Dana White all of a sudden giving me attitude about me having to pull out of a fight. And, uh, and then also all the fans like basically saying that, you know, I'm a joke. So I just, I started doing less. And then next thing I know, like you start having that less meant that doing less mentality, you know, you start losing. And I, and that's basically what happened. And I wasn't, and after I lost my belt the first time, it wasn't about, it wasn't about, you know, what do I have to do differently? It was more about, I just need to get my belt back. I didn't think I was doing anything wrong. I just thought, you know, Rocco got lucky. Like, you know, I had an injury going to that fight. Uh, now wait until I fight him again. And I just was like, instead of thinking about what I need to do differently in training and looking at myself, it was just rush back. I just needed to get back. I just get back. And then that was pretty much uh you know, one of the things that I look back on, I'm like, you know, forget that, like, just work your ass up. Always try to do more as opposed to less. Um, but anyway, going back to you, let's go. Well, let's, let's finish that story. So we were in the middle. We were at Cortland. You're wrestling. Then you went to you started doing MMA out there. We saw each other at Ring Combat. And then uh, what, what made you finally come down to Long Island? And what was that experience like coming to the gym for the first time? Well, I, I finished school and then I came down Long Island, kind of did like a tour of the gyms. I uh, went out to Belmore Kickboxing, went out to Long Island MMA, uh, came down to uh, International Kickboxing, I think it was called at the time. Yeah, International, yeah, no, International, International Ray Longo's International Mixed Martial Arts Academy, I M M A K. Yeah, something R. long. And yeah. uh, all the. Bro, see, you were playing hard to get. No, but I, I want to make sure I got into the right place, the right fit, because, you know, I jumped into this gym where I was at because I had no choice and um, I didn't really know what was really out there. So then I've had other opportunities, like people trying to court me and have me come out to like New Jersey and other places. And um, uh, even Albuquerque, uh, John Jones gave me the invite to come down there. And I just I just felt like I, if I went down there, I would have been another guy in the pack of all these UFC guys that, you know, they train, like I was smart back then. Like I knew there was only so much time in a day that the coach can actually give you in terms of attention and making sure you get some actual one-on-one work mm-hmm. and just really trying to nitpick the things to help you get better. Cause that's how I got better with, with wrestling. I didn't have money, you know, so I had to 
figure out the best opportunity that I can learn and at the same time save money and get to where I want to be. Um, so going to these gyms, you know, I don't, I'm not looking to bash anybody. Obviously these gyms are great gyms, mm -hmm. but I felt the camaraderie and the chemistry that I felt was the best coming in through the doors of uh, Ray Longo's gym and seeing how he was with Al and the other guys at the gym. I just felt like that was something that was more my speed, you know, the, the ball busting. Um, <laughs> and I, I think that's probably what sold it the most. And I can't remember anything really like memorable, but I remember when the office had like the little sofa in the front no, oh, and yeah. uh, I would come. Wait, wait, where in the where in the where in the gym next door? Was it the gym next no, door? No, no, I, I wasn't there for that one. Holy shit! Yeah, but there was old. a sofa in the front when you walked in. Yeah, and I remember that leather that leather sofa. Yeah, and was I would just overhear the conversation between him and Al and everybody else, and I was like, yeah, I think this is where I should be. And I remember talking to my brother Troy because he came out with me to go check out those other gyms, and uh, he kind of felt the same way. Wait, and was Troy trying to fight at that point too? He was like dabbling, but not really sure if he wanted to fight. You know why? I think he had his last fight when we were upstate and it was a split decision and it was a war. And I think he got his bell rung a couple of times. And I think that kind of let him know, like, I'm not training the way I should be training. And this is dangerous. And I'm not really sure if I really even want to do this. I'm more of the rapper. And that's what he was really good at. Very lyrical. Yeah. yeah. And um not like the mumble rap type of nonsense. Like he was actual rapper that you can understand. And the words actually made sense. The songs actually make sense. Yeah. Kind of um, like me. Yeah. Yeah. All that. We'll have a freestyle <laughs> battle right now. I don't give a shit. Yeah. And, and um, from there, that's pretty much how I, you know, fell into the gym over here and uh, haven't left since, you know? So let's, let's, I'm going to have you explain kind of, you know, long story short, your career uh since you got to our gym uh well it was raised gym at that point obviously super successful uh and then at some point you hit a set you hit some setbacks and so i'd like to get into that but like start off with uh kind of the beginning of your career and everything and then uh getting into the setbacks uh like i was saying before you know that ring combat fight split decision one of my worst performances but if you people watch it, it's one of the fights i watch and i kind of just laugh at like i can't believe i fought that ugly um, it's just funny, just not to cut you off, but it's, it's just crazy because I know a lot of people who are going to be watching this are UFC fans. It's like, uh, it's like our careers just started, you know, they don't, they don't realize everything that we've been through, like the ring of combats and how much that meant to us at that time. And like how that has developed us into the fighters that we are now. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to say that. Yeah. So went from there, won the bell ring combat championship, uh, I think two and a half weeks notice. And that might have had something to do with it because I just fought not too long ago before that. Um, I think I might have overtrained, you know, and I think that was a real thing back then. Not really understanding that. Then I fought for Cage Fury short notice again. And then after that, I fought for the belt, defended it three times, got to the UFC after being eight, you know, had a shoulder surgery labrum. I was out for almost a year, came back. I remember um, this. The UFC gave me the call. I was supposed to fight Lucas Martins. He pulled out. I ended up fighting um, Brian. I was supposed to, I was supposed to replace Brian Caraway, which I did. Then Lucas Martins got hurt, and then I fought Cody Gibson. Won my first four fights. Um, my third fight in the UFC was a guy who was ranked sixth in the world, uh, Takeya Mizugaki, at the time. So this is where MMA was. This back is your then. third fight. Third fight. You fought the number six guy. Yeah, and wow. then I fought so the number nine guy, um, Eduardo Johnny Eduardo. I finished both those guys back to back. So I had three finishes in a row. 
um, Hugo Vienna, Takeo Mizugaki, and then Johnny Eduardo. And coming and off saying, a serious uh, shoulder injury too. Yeah, yeah. I remember Labor. you. I remember the physical therapy you were doing on, on that was uh, pretty intense. But you were very consistent with it. It was you were coming to the gym, just watching everybody work out and doing your little boring ass exercises on the side of the gym. Like <laughs> you it, know how it hard sucks. it is to I, mentally do that. It's the worst. <laughs> it's the worst. I but I remember that, and I, it was inspiring. I, between you and Al, Al watching you guys do those little tedious, annoying physical therapy exercises, um, it's it's motivating to see that. Yeah, it's it's um it's not easy, man. It's, and sometimes, like even after this last surgery I had, it was just like daunting on me because I'm like, man, I've been through so much. Do I really want to go through another process again just to get back with the potential chance of getting hurt again? And uh, that that can be a scary thought to get in your head, you know, because this is our physical body that we we get this one vessel and we don't get another one, you know. Um, so that that's something that I don't think a lot of people actually. Uh, realize when they when they bash us <laughs> but they they just say uh you didn't no one told you to choose the sport but i'm like all right so four and oh and i lose my next two fights both split decision to brian Carraway, who i got to the ufc because of because he pulled out um talked a whole lot of shit to, to that was, was was that the first time that there was real shit talk going on and and like kind of was kind of going public like people were talking about it uh, I remember. I, well, for me, I remember that being like the first thing, first time that, uh, like your shit talk and your the pre-fight stuff was going, you know, worldwide. Like people were actually talking about this fight. I could be wrong with that, though. Yeah, you know what it was. I talk crap before every fight, and it's not like I talk crap like maliciously. It's not like a Conor McGregor where it's like COVID is the good, and you know, it's not. It's none of that. But it's like kind of playful but at the same time it's like a little like oh yeah like you want to prove that that guy you're going to shut his mouth you know that's what i want people to feel like you know so it gives you a little bit more to fight for i don't know how you do that you you've been doing that forever um you're able to talk shit online on twitter whatever we're in interviews but mostly on twitter and stuff like that with no real uh emotion towards it at all it might seem like you're emotional on Twitter, but knowing you, it doesn't matter what this guy really says back or even what you say. None of it really bothers you. You're pretty good at like saying shit, but you, you may not even mean it. Like but you're throwing it out there. You throw it out there. And no matter what comes back, it doesn't seem to affect you as opposed to me. Like, and not, and, and I'd like to get better at this, but like, I don't know why. Like I always I, there's like always a chip on my shoulder. If someone like, I feel like is disrespecting me, like, bro, we're like, I'm going to slap you in the freaking face. Like, I guess it's from like growing up with that mentality. Like, yo, someone says this to you, this is what you have to do. And like, I was taught that. And so for me to like, as the internet era came and as we had to progress as fighters, because as wrestlers, you have to be super humble. You never talk about yourself, let other people talk about you. And um, sort of progress into fighting where like, you have to talk shit. Like I, it was hard for me to just put stuff out there because I knew someone was going to say something back. And then it's like, yo, you freaking kidding me? And you don't want to get angry. So I always kind of did look at you when you would, and still even to today, especially with everything going on, which we'll get to later, but um, how you're able to absorb it and just brush it off really easily, really easily, naturally. And I've seen this for years now with you. Yeah. I think it just comes from growing up, man. And like you said, I think the way we grew up, is like you you have to prove the guy wrong. So it's like, at the end of the day, you have to prove me wrong. I don't have to, you know, so let's have a contest about it. Let's 
have a race, you know, I'll dust you. And it's like, oh, you really feel like that? So now I got to prove that you couldn't do that. You know, yeah. that's just kind of my mentality. So it's like at the end of the day, for me, it's really just words. So someone's going to win. Someone's going to lose regardless. So like, am I going to feel less less crappy about myself if I won because I didn't if I lost because I didn't talk any crap and they just beat me or I talked a little crap and then they beat me anyway. So it's, just, it's like. I don't know. I, I feel I've done that before getting into the UFC, done that growing up. And I think it's always made for more entertainment. And I think that's why I always done good with like interviews and things, because I feel like people want the entertainment factor. They And it's not like I'm forcing it. It's being myself. This is how me and my friends are. I always say if we had a podcast, it would be, have to be called canceled because my friends and I like the stuff that is said. It's just like, yeah. you know, you it's a different time now. You probably yeah. want to get away. Which is messed that. up because it's a lot of people's like a lot of people. Like if we if we were at the gym, we're talking yeah. me and you right now. Um, we unfortunately we wouldn't be able to like you know say a lot of things we're saying you know because people would cancel us. You know we get <laughs> that woke would come out and they would be like you're done. Yeah. Um, it but sucks. I, I think it's I think it's cool to have that type of. Uh, mindset mentality man like even on the regional circuit i was kind of i was the same way i and that's how i had to build myself up to even get an opportunity to get to the ufc you know because i wasn't selling tickets i wasn't this guy that everyone heard of my friends barely bought tickets you know they'll say they would want to come and then they would never pay for anything they would never show up or they would be incognito can't find them anywhere when it's time to actually show up and, and hand over cash for a ticket you know so yeah. what other way could i get attention um, other than being myself and trying to be somewhat funny about it and, uh, you know, talk a little crap, have a little banter. And uh, that's that's what I found for me that worked. And um, I, I always laugh when people send me a message and they go, oh, you know, that one really bothered you. I'm like, really? If you really felt that bothered me, then you don't know me. And you have you just started following my career because yeah. it's water off my back. Um, I will I will say, though, there have been times where. You know, you just wake up and you're just sore, you're cranky, you're just not in the mood. And you see something, you're just like, this is a guy I would punch in the face right now. But I think that's with anything. Like this, sometimes you wake up and you just, you're just a little bit more edgy than others. But other than mm -hmm. that, man, it's, it's, it is what it is. But even going back to what we were saying, like I had those two fights with, with um, a Sunset and Brian Carraway back to back. And I, I lost those both split decision. And um, there are some guys you fight that you really can't talk crap about because it's just such nice people. It's just like, I just got to say, like, I'm going to beat his ass. And that's as far as the trash talk goes. Yeah, yeah. No, it, and it's still not really trash talk, but it's like, we're getting in here to fight. But if I, once I say like, I'm going to beat your ass, it's like, it puts something different into the universe where it's like, wow, I can't believe you just said that. Yeah. And if you, you don't know? say that when, when the camera's on, when you, when you get out there for fight week and they're doing the pre-fight interviews, they're going to pretty much make you say that. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> when you play, like, like that's the way, like when I first got into UFC, bro, I was not a shit talker. Like I, I would never. And so um, they're interviewing me for the Lesio Sakara fight. And they're like, you know, so you're taking this fight on three weeks notice, you know, um, you know, uh, what, how do you think this fight's going to go? I'm like, I don't know. You know, he's a really good fighter. You know, he's on a three fight knockout streak. Like, I think he's really, he's really good. Like I watched him on ESPN last week and I'm like, holy crap, I can't believe I'm fighting this guy. Uh, you know, but I, I do think I have the tools, you know, to hopefully possibly, you know, to beat him. And they'd be like, they were like, uh, okay, can we do that again? But this time, can you just say, uh, 
uh, basically, I'm I'm Chris Webb, basically, and I'm gonna you know take down Alessio Sakar. I'm gonna pound his face in, and then I'm gonna finish him in the first round. I'm like, wait, I didn't. You want me to say that? And they basically <laughs> yeah, yeah, do that again, and they just unless you say something that has that like definitive answer, they're gonna keep bringing you back on it. And I hate that. I don't know. I hate when I'm getting ready to walk out because when you're getting ready to walk out, it's the first time you hear that interview, they start playing it in the arena. And I'm like, I start hearing myself talk. You're trying to stay focused on the fight, like saying confidence. All of a sudden, you start hearing myself talk. You hear my, my, you hear the things that I was saying. It's like a little cringy. And then I hear the other guy, what he's saying. He's going to knock me out. I'm like, this <laughs> <laughs> It's a fascinating sport, man. And it's it's cool insight, I think, to the fans, to for them to actually understand what goes on, the whole process and um, it's more sometimes to me it's more than a fight sometimes, you know? So, uh, I don't want to say it's more than a fight, but at the same time, it kind of is, is bragging rights. It's, it's financial gain. It's honor is dignity. There, there's so much that goes into it. It's not just, Hey, we're just going to fight today. And that's it. And then we're going to go about our day. That's how, that's how it should be. But in reality, you know, a win and a loss it's such a roller coaster effect, whether you're you're plummeting down or you're climbing that roller coaster and you get into the top, getting ready for that climax. You know what I mean? So it's such a a wide spectrum of, of emotion. So for me, it's like if I can win and back up my words, it makes me feel that much better. And if I lose, it's like, you know, I try not to beat myself up about it, but I would beat myself up about it whether I uh lost without talking crap or I didn't, you know. So I'm going to have the same crappy feeling no matter what. So if I can make something out of it where if I did get the win, I could get a little bit more, not notoriety, but um, put myself in a different platform where the next fight, it has more eyeballs on it, which hopefully equates to more dollars. So at the end of the day, this is prize fighting. This is why we're fighting. It's the entertainment business. You want people to care about your fights. You want them to care about you. Um, You don't want them to not have an opinion. And, I think uh, whether they want to see you lose or whether they want to see you win, I think that's important, you know, and I think that's what gets people to tune in. So it depends on what you're fighting for. If I can go under the radar, I always say the thing about fame, like I don't really care for that, but if I can have the, the financial gain and not have to worry about all the other things, that would be nice. But at the end of the day, it's one of those sports where, you know, you're, you're out there in the public eye and, and people are going to gravitate to you because they, whether you're good or bad kind of thing. Um, so, you know, it'd be nice to be one of those rich guys behind the scenes that no one knows who they are. And yes, those billionaires <laughs> that no one even heard of. Yeah, and they could kind of just live their life um, however they want. And I'm not saying I get bombarded. I'm not like Denzel Washington kind of thing, Kevin Hart, but <laughs> or Brad, Brad Pitt kind of thing. But uh, depending on where you go, what country, what town, you can get pretty overwhelmed. And um, sometimes it could be difficult to kind of just do a daily thing like just going to have a, a dinner, you know? So um, I am, we are like for us, we are grateful to be in this position because this is how we provide. And mm-hmm. uh, the fans are those people that I provide. And it's kind of like a, like I said, catch 22 in that sense where you want the notoriety because it equates to more eyeballs, but at the end of the day, it also equates to more popularity, which means you're going to be doing those, t- those type of things. So it's a, uh, it's a give and a take kind of thing, you know, so. Yeah, more judgment, too. And going back to the whole woke thing and, like, censorship and worrying about cancel culture. 
being famous and being out in the public, like you always have eyes on you. So everything that you're doing and saying, no matter where you go, you have to assume there's someone watching and listening videotaping. Yeah. So it's, uh, there's definitely value in being not known and being able to, you know, obviously if, if you had money, if you were able to have the financial means to kind of do what you want, and then also don't have to worry about people judging you and stuff like that, that would probably, probably, probably be great. But on the other side of the token, it's, you know, I think we all want to get to the point where like, we don't give a crap who is listening to us or watching us. Like, this is who I am. Yeah. And this is what you get. But then when you start losing money because of that, maybe sponsorships, you know, or whatever, that could be a problem. That's when it changed. That's when things start to change. But um, yeah, I, I was kind of like that. And then once I started to realize, like, like you said, when it starts to affect your bottom line, you're like, all right, I got to make a switch or I got to commit to this and figure out something else and maybe have to fight more. Yeah. <laughs> maybe that's what I'm going to have to do. But um, thankfully, I'm not too over the top where it's, it's not too crazy, but I do like to express my opinion. And I know some people don't like, like it because of that. They say, Oh, I can tell that knee is affecting you more because of these stupid things you're saying. But I'm like, so you're more intelligent than me, even though I have my bachelor's. Uh, I have a bachelor's in science and speaking of that anatomy, one anatomy, two biomechanics, exercise, physiology. Like I'm pretty much a science major and, and my opinion doesn't matter, but yours does, because what do you do? You're a thumb pusher. Like, I, you know what I mean? So it's like for people, I think that old school aura of shut up and dribble and <sighs> athletes shouldn't have an opinion. I think that's starting to, that should start to change. I, and I don't mind being the guy at the forefront trying to change that because I think it's wrong that people try to put you in this one little box and say that this is all you're capable of. And this is all that you should be good at and all you're allowed to talk about kind of thing. That's not right. And at the end of the day, we're all people. Uh, we have opinions. We have families. We have things that matter to us. We have views and, and, and goals and things like that. So for people to kind of judge us and, and make us feel like our opinion isn't worth anything, I think that's just not right. You know, so. So I, I agree with you and I appreciate if you go on Aljamain's Twitter, you will see he's not shy to talk about almost anything from uh, politics, race, um, Whatever, and, and pretty much anything. I don't know, like, uh, what other serious topics are there? I don't know. You're not afraid to touch anything. Well, you know, anything that with Peter Jan, which we're going to get into later, but um, anything with him, any of the Russian fans coming at you and saying all these different things, like, you're not afraid to talk to him. And it's amazing how uh, consistent you are with that. And and uh, I've been seeing it for years. Um, but the issue I have with athletes speaking out. It's not athletes speaking out. I actually have no issue with that. I have no problem with someone coming out. Like you, no one should ever be able to censor anybody. Like if you become famous because you're an athlete, you should be able to give your opinion on what you feel about anything. And nobody's allowed to say, oh, you're supposed to just be dribbling a basketball or you're supposed to be just fighting in the cage. What I will say though is I don't like when politics hit the actual game field or the, the UFC octagon or the basketball court. I don't like when someone tunes in for a sport to get away from all that crap for entertainment. Yeah. And there's, there's politics being driven into that element where they're just trying to get away from everything and enjoy the UFC fights or enjoy the basketball game or the football game and politics start hitting that sport. That's what I, I that's what I don't agree with. Um, do you know I, what I mean I, by that? Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Like with even that. like even, even this, even like the kneeling, the kneeling on the field, 
you know, during football games, before football games, that being on camera, like people, that became a political thing, you know, and it really bothers some people. So now they lo- they lost a bunch of ratings. I'm pretty sure they stopped. They had to stop doing it. Like the teams were like, all right, let's not do anything political during the games. Um, yeah, there's been there's been plenty of times in sports where that's happened, where leagues have kind of let certain agendas get across. If it was a popular opinion, they would let it come across. But for the most part, they keep it out. But I don't like when that happens. Like if the UFC started putting something out, you know, during the during the fights, like I would have a problem with that. You know, whether yeah. I was for the issue or, or or against the issue. Yeah, um, yeah, that's a whole different. But, but as far as wormhole athletes on Twitter or doing an interview, you're allowed to say anything you want. It's a free country. Yeah, you're asking like even like not to switch gears too much, but um. Like when people ask you after a fight, whether you win or you lose, like what happened or what you could have done better. And then you tell them what happened and then they tell you you're making excuses. And I'm like in terms of voicing your opinions, like, well, you asked me a question. I wouldn't have brought this to the table had the question not been asked. So it's like, would you like for me to just say that person was just straight up better than me? I'm like, but if that's not the case and you don't feel like that, why is it that you're making an excuse when these are actual things that happened that affected the outcome of the fight? And I I always had a problem with that because it's just like we're we're all people. We're not every day is not going to be our best day. That's why when what we see guys in like wrestling or even in MMA, which is a very rare commodity, a guy that's undefeated, and you're just like, how? How have you not woken up feeling sick? How have you not woken up feeling tired or extra sore? How have you not woken up feeling unmotivated that day to compete? And you can still perform and get through your career without taking a blemish on your record. That's like uh, Dan Gable in college. Like, who does that? You know what I mean? Kale Sanderson. Kale Sanderson. It's, it's, those people are like the anomaly. They, they just, they're the 1% of the 1%. Of probably the one percent, you know what the I mean? Zero point one percent. That's if we're just, talking just, about COVID. Zero point two percent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's something that just doesn't happen, you know. So I'm always like intrigued and mind blown by guys like that because it's just something that you just never see. It's just an unheard of feat that when it happens, it almost doesn't even seem real, you know. Because even when you win, there's still things going on. And I've had people tell me like, I've taken a fight on a week's notice against a guy I lost to. Ended up beating him, and they only took the fight because they paid me five hundred dollars. And I ended up beating him in a rematch. And uh, I was telling the guys, I can't believe I took this fight on five days' notice and I beat this guy. And I lost him the first time. My coach back then had to tell me like, Shh, like no one kind of likes that type of person. I'm like, well, I'm not like boat like bragging or boasted about him. I'm just like, I'm like blown away that I was able to accomplish that. Where for me, I was like, I thought I was probably going to lose. I just wanted the money. He was getting ready for a title fight. I took a five round title fight as an amateur, had no business winning that fight, but I ended up winning. And, but when you talk about that, it's like, it's such a weird positioning to be in. It's like, damned if you do, damned if you don't, because it's like, what would you like for me to say that makes sense? It's like, don't ask the question. And then when you get the hard truth or you get the truth, you don't, you don't agree with it or you don't like it. I, the I don't truth that no, I I'm with you. The truth of the matter is in fighting, the better fighter doesn't always win. I, I mean, now percentage wise, I would say over 50%, the better fighter, like as a fighter, you want to get yourself to, as, to, to be as good as possible. So the percentages of, of you winning that night go up. 
you know, yes. but at the end of the day, especially at the top of the game, like, you know, we're at like the guy who's not as necessarily is the best is not always going to win. And um, it's a bad night for him. He could have, he could have done something, you know, he could have had an injury. He could have had his, you know, his wife started a fight with him that morning. You know, th- there's a million things that could just skew it, but just enough to where that better fighter doesn't win yeah. so many different things. And so when you're asked after a fight and you do believe you're the better fighter, um, what happened, you know, you lost tonight. Well, I guess at the end of the day, he was a better fighter tonight because he figured out a way, way to win in that case. Yes. But I really, I'm the better fighter. And these are the reasons why I think I lost. Like you're just actually doing a self uh, analysis on and reflecting back on, you know, things that went wrong, whether it was training camp in your mind, uh, the day of the fight, walking to the fight as you're about to hit gloves, there's something that could go wrong in your mind or physically. And if you want to explain that to people, like, why is that an issue? You know, you're not saying the guy didn't beat you because he did. Um, but this is the truth of what went down. And if you're going to ask the question, be ready for the answer. Because as athletes, I think we, I hope we're being honest, you know, about how we feel. Of course, we're all confident. We all think we're, we're great. But at the end of the day, like if someone's asked, asked you why you think you lost that fight, you better. I mean, I hope you have an answer. I hope you have something. Like- yeah. Like it doesn't mean that you're making excuses and taking away from the guy's win. It is what it is. Like this is what was going down. And we're taught not to ever bring it up. Don't ever bring it up. I even and- say like my Jan, my Peter Jan fight, like I felt he was that day being in there with him. I felt like when I woke up in the morning, I felt like I'm going to crush this guy. All the other things happened, but I, and I, and I've openly admitted this. And I said, after the first round and I knew I wasn't, I was a shell of myself. I was like, yeah, he was better than me tonight. Today he was actually better than me. And there was nothing I could do about it. I've had training sessions where I am the nail and I get hammered. Well, sometimes Marab is pummeling me or somebody else is pummeling me. I'm like, I'm supposed to be the guy at the top of the, the totem pole in the gym. And these days happen. Sometimes you have yeah. these off days and sometimes they happen in the octagon. And it's just like, there's nothing you can do about it, man. And that's why I say when people can say any place, anytime and always show up and always win those events, it's, it's such an impressive thing. Like a GSP, even though there's some fights that GSP had that I thought he lost um, a, a John Jones, some fights I, he, he had that I thought he lost as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Yep, Gus is like and then I think Johnny uh, Hendricks. Yeah, but like even like a guy like Khabib is like, actually. I'm sorry, I take away um, the Gus's. I don't think he. I think John Jones beat Gustafson. I actually was, thought he won close. that one, but I thought the spinning elbow. You thought Gustafson won? I thought in terms of volume, I thought John might have done the more damaging strikes, but I thought volume wise, Gustafson. That's what I thought, but it depends on what you're scoring. I, I, I was actually cage side for that. That was an amazing fight, but I thought Gustafson was winning the fight until I believe it was the fourth round. He got hit with that spin back elbow, elbow, and it kind of discombobulated him. I think messed him up. I do think Dominic Reyes beat John Jones without question in that fight. Yeah, I watched it? that fight so many times. What do you I'm think of that fight? Like, Who won I go that fight? Back and forth every time. Oh, really? I, I can't time. say I watched it as many times as you. I think I may have watched it once or twice. Uh, definitely once, but maybe twice. Um, but I thought when I watched it, that he won three rounds. Yeah. It was, it was a hot debate in this house, man. Cause it was like, well, I don't know what we're scoring. And then, and then we were watching round by round. I was like, yeah, I don't know. I think Reyes. And then I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I think John. So, <laughs> yeah. 
it's, it's tough. Sometimes it should be a draw, man. And then look what happened. And then Reyes, you know, I mean, listen, he beat me first round. The, the, the worst I've ever been beat in a fight. Can't, like every fight I've ever lost besides that one, I was actually winning. Uh, so, I mean, props to the guy. But look at his kind of his career started kind of falling apart, right? Like, has he won recently? I mean, he, he so he, I think he beat John Jones, what people arguably the greatest of all time. And then has he's he's lost multiple right after that. He fought guys. in another title fight. Um, he got finished in that on J- John Blackowitz. Yeah, yeah, he got hit with that hook, and then uh, and then he lost to that interesting dude. What's his oh, name? Oh, Jerry, Jerry, right? Oh, Prashanska. No, that guy is Prashanska. nasty. Yeah, yeah, he did. He put him to sleep. Guy's wow. <laughs> it's just crazy. And, and I mean, does that mean that Reyes sucks now? Because now people that, of course, that's what they think. Yeah, he lost three in a row. Troy, just let me know. Jerry, John, and John. John, yeah. Jerry, John, and John. And that's the margin forever in this game is just so small. That's why sometimes I say, like, I like the idea of, like, the best fighters, I think, to find out really who I who the best fighters in the world are technically and mentally, I think the best way to find out is in sparring. Sparring, not necessarily it has not necessarily it doesn't necessarily have to happen in a gym, you know, with you know on the same team or anything like that. But um, bigger gloves, less chance of you know random knockouts. Um, yeah, and more so just more protection and. I think usually you'll see the better fighters will win a higher percentage of the time in sparring than they would in actual fight. You're saying like from a technical standpoint, from a technical standpoint, like all right, who's actually the better fighter. Yeah. I think yeah. you'll see in sparring easier than you'll actually see in a fight. Yeah. That, you agree I, with I, that? I see what you're saying. No, I, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. And there's other guys in the UFC like that too, who who make a name for themselves by just having the longer cardio and getting their butt kicked the entire time and then coming back and winning. I'm like, who wants to have a career like that, just known for getting the crap kicked out of them to always win in the second, late in the second or late in the third round? Like, that's not the type of guy fighter I want to be. <laughs> no, you know what I mean. Yeah. That means you've taken a lot of damage. Um, pun intended. <laughs> there's yeah. an actual guy named the damage yeah. you know he's a very nice dude but it's like i would never want to be that type of fighter be known for that like yeah you got so much heart but i'm like yeah but i also got a lot of headaches like but i think I'm, when I'm, you're I'm not okay. as talented yeah. i think like you're a super talented guy you have the ability to use your feet and to move out of distance and you're long and rangy you have you have the ability not to get hit in a the fight there's some guys that they don't have that ability at all they, it's it, crazy, right? They don't have that ability. So when they get into a fight, they have to be like, all right, I'm going to probably get my ass kicked for two rounds. <laughs> but my goal is not to get knocked out, stay awake, and then I'm going to win. Stay awake. You know, like that's that's tough. That's tough. Um, that's a tough game plan. <laughs> like, and of course, we're all prepared to, when you go into a fight, you know, uh, you have to have the mindset of, listen, this guy could be beating my ass for four rounds straight. I'm going to come back in that fifth round, you know, no matter how many times he drops me, I'm going to find a way to get back up to my feet and hold my guard up and get back to my basics and not get flustered. Like when we think about our fights and we visualize you have, you, we always think of the worst possible situations and scenarios and we figure out a way to get out of it and to win. Yeah. But when it's more of a reality, like it's a, almost a guarantee 
for like the damage guy <laughs> that like this is what i'm known for i'm gonna get my ass beat and then i'm gonna hopefully break this guy he's gonna overexert himself trying to finish me <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's like my way to win <laughs> i do respect you i bow down to you for everything that you put on the line to have that mentality and then also to know that's probably the likely situation that's going to happen almost every single fight from beginning your career to the end of your career. Yeah. Uh, so I bowed down to the commitment uh, and the toughness that you have, because I don't know if I was getting my ass kicked every single day in the gym, because if you're, if you're that guy in the octagon and in front of everybody, you're probably that guy in, in sparring against random dudes who are probably decent, but not the greatest. So you're getting your ass kicked in the gym and then you're also getting your ass kicked in the cage, but you're still having a great career. So I commend you. <laughs> I really do. Life, I, really, but... I really do commend. We know wrestlers like that too. They're just so unathletic, but somehow they figure out a way to win. Yeah. You know, and I commend them. It's amazing to watch. You know, I, I always hate wrestling those guys because yeah, somehow... I've lost the guys like this. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, look at that's why I love that's why I love wrestling, bro. Look at Ben Askren. Ben Askren is the most unathletic human being I probably you could actually draw up and create. This kid was smart enough, though, to figure out the sport of wrestling between hard work and using his mind to figure out moves and scrambling and funk and figure out a way to beat all these super athletic, more talented people than him. And he became one of the best college wrestlers I've ever seen with no athletic ability. That's why you could start in wrestling both on the same you could, you could start where the guy is super talented and the lowest talented person on the planet, like Ben Askren. You could have, you know, let's just John Jones, most athletic, right? Most talented. Then you got, then you got Ben Askren down here. And in the sport of wrestling, even if John Jones is working his ass off every single day, Ben Askren could beat him. Do you agree or disagree with me? No, I agree. Just because of his weird well, He figured this shit out. He changed the sport of wrestling. Yeah. And that's why I copied him because I, yeah, I, like I, I felt like I wasn't very good. I was strong and I was like athletic, but I didn't understand what the hell I was doing. I just competed. All I knew is I didn't want to lose. That was it. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. was really it. Let's go into the setback. Give me two of your worst setbacks and how you overcame it. And then let's get into uh, the Peter Jan stuff. Um, I, I would say probably my worst setback was getting knocked out by well first I, I think the two split decision losses because it was my second contract i made a big fuss over fighter pay and you know i could have made more money as a gym teacher which i could have that's not that's not false here in long island yeah bro you've always had balls with the ufc um yeah i, I give you that like, yeah you've always had balls publicly. i try to do it in a respectful way where it wasn't like i was completely shitting on them there's you know but it's still balls it's still balls yeah. say i got balls uh, of course i got balls <laughs> <laughs> but um and i shave them with manscaped yeah <laughs> they don't sponsor the show <laughs> but if they want to hello hello <laughs> I, I end up getting uh the second contract the first fight on a contract i lost second fight on the contract i lost and then in my head i'm thinking like well i'm gonna get to use that teaching degree now so i'm about to get I'm about to get the boot. I really thought, like, you know, they gave me another tough guy who was like. Uh, I've watched you question your career multiple times. I've watched you. I've heard talk to you. There was multiple times I feel like that we've had conversation about, like, what you're going to be doing now in the future. And, like, you know, I'm not making enough money in this. And I got my physical education degree. 
we've had multiple conversations with that. Yeah. There's obviously easier ways to make a living, but the athletic competitive person. And I think both of us was kind of like, you know, we kind of have to see this through. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where I was at, but I thought grapplers were always my kryptonite because if they can not out grapple me, but keep me honest with my grappling, it's always a tough competitive match, which I always hated. Cause I'm like, well, now you, you know how to grapple. So it makes it difficult for me to impose my will. Where if you're a striker, I can grapple hump the crap out of you for however long I want to, because you're just thinking striking. And, and it's kind of like that Ben Askren effect. I know how to hold on in certain positions where I'm safe. It's going to get you tired. It's going to make you work. And eventually I strangle you where the grappler, like a caraway or like the, the guy, Claudia Ledesma, who I fought ring in combat, those fights, I always ended up becoming you more tired. Cla Claudia, Claudia Cadella? <laughs> Claudio Ledesma. <laughs> oh, okay. My bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, um, so those two setbacks, and then I end up fighting Takino Mendez, who was like an Abu Dhabi world champion, um, beat Eddie Cummins, I think twice. So I was starting to go to Henzo's a couple of times to get that real leg lock experience. If we don't, if you guys don't know Eddie Cummins, Eddie Cummins might be one of the greatest heel hookers of our time and not spoke about as much as he probably should have. He was like the, the when I would go to Henzo's, he like Gordon Ryan, Gary Tonin, they were all there. Uh, Cummins was the first guy that like I was rolling with him light one day like just chill he put me in about 17 heel hooks in a row and I'm like you gotta be f effing kidding me but the next time I came back I'm like alright now we're going hard and I'm not letting you get my legs it was competitive <laughs> it was very competitive but yo he's really good and he I think he was like around my size too which is yeah, yeah he's a tiny guy tiny guy yeah so I think he's that's smaller than you I think he's probably smaller than you nah he's definitely a little bigger I see. Uh, I see. Well, you're a tiny face. guy too, then. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> As but, um, Volante said, it would say you're not even a man if you're under 200 pounds. Yeah, that's <laughs> crazy. But, <laughs> but uh, I ended up beating that guy, and then um, in a very emotional fight for me, um, and then go on to win a couple more. End up fighting former champion. Uh, Henan Barab beat him. But then the next setback was Marlon Marais. I kind of felt like I finally hit my, my stride. I was getting more comfortable with my striking. I ran into this guy. I kind of disrespect him in the worst way. Like, it's one thing when I was disrespecting other guys, but it, I don't want to call it disrespect where I'm trash talking other guys, but I still give him the respect as an athlete and as a fighter because I know it's a fight. Yeah. Where for this one, I can honestly say, like, I completely just, like, had no regard for like what he accomplished in the sport. And in my head, I'm thinking like, yo, this is going to be a walk in the park. Fast forward. And I remember telling you he was good, bro. Like, because that was the time I was going down to work with Mark Henry. So I would see him working with the guys. I'm like, oh no, he's good. He's got good striking. I'll tell you, I'll tell Ray, but you didn't give a shit because you were, you were ready to go. You were on your high horse at that point. I beat Hennon Burrow. I thought I was the Yeah, man. you're good. Yeah, <laughs> screw this guy. He didn't beat Hennon Burrow. Yeah. The greatest of all time. But um, I think that's where things start to go south. And uh, I, I learned a valuable lesson is this sport is very dangerous. and Anybody can get got. That's mm -hmm. what I honestly learned. Anybody can get got. And um, that was a major setback. But for me, I, I learned that anyone could be knocked out because I used to think I can never get knocked out because I was like, I just never put myself in a position to get knocked out. I thought like, I, I, would I could never get knocked out too. Yeah. Like you could see the punches. You could roll with it. I know yeah. I could just cover up, be tough enough. Whereas like, you have to catch me with a clean strike, which is what happened. You know, I ran yeah. face first into a knee and I got yeah. my lights put out. Um, 
So it was just one of those things where it was a very tough thing to deal with because uh, it was all over the internet. You know, I was the guy doing the dab after I choked out Johnny Eduardo. Then I'm doing the dab in a knockout. But you took it. You, you did take it well. Yeah. I mean, it, it was like, what can I do? This happened. They're going to play this every time he fights. And even when Marab is going to fight him, they're going to play over and over. And I'm going to be right there, probably in the corner watching the fight. But yeah. I'm like, okay, this is this is cool. I'm yeah. seeing myself get plastered on the canvas yeah. again. You get used but, to it, though. Just look down. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like I had to mentally get over that hump where I'm like, you know what, man? This could have happened to anybody. And um, it was a freak incident where I zigged when I should have zagged. I made one wrong move. I don't feel like I was into the fight the way I should have been. And it cost me the fight, you know? So I learned a very, very valuable lesson that day. And um, thankfully it's never happened again. And hopefully it doesn't. And then that was the biggest one. And then now we're here. We are with the uh, PD on fight. Now I want you to get into two things like mentally where did you have any like uh low? And points? I felt like I was the better fighter. I hundred percent still feel like I am the better fighter tomorrow. Marais. Yeah. And I think it was just one of those situations. Not saying he's not good. He's dangerous, but I felt like I lost to a guy that I should have beaten, And I let the opportunity slip through my fingertips. Now, obviously that's a low point in your career. You, you were feeling like you're the shit knocked out in front of all these people. Uh, mentally, did you have any days where you're depressed and down, um, questioning everything? Can you reflect back to any of the bad times? Because, you know, there's a lot of people, they go through tough times and um, they feel like they're alone when they start having some, you know, difficulties mentally. Yeah, I would say so. Um, my my fiance and I, back then she was, you know, just my girlfriend, my longtime girlfriend. Uh, we went on a cruise and uh, I remember speaking out. I remember talking to you, Matt, Sarah, um, Volante. I was, I was just talking to anyone who's ever experienced like a KO loss and kind of just trying to gather strength from that. And uh, the main verdict that I got was like, yo, that could have happened to anybody. I don't care what type of chin you had. You shot as hard as I shot. And a guy's throwing a switch kick like that. And you run face first into that knee and hitting you right on the chin. Just about everyone's going out, you know? So um, I try to keep it in perspective. And I think guys help me uh, stay a little bit motivated and, um, and not stay a, a little bit motivated, but kept my motivation that, you know, I can still be one of the best guys in the world. That could have happened to anybody. Um, next time, just do better. That's pretty much it. Just do better. Take every fight seriously and never put yourself in that opportunity in that in that spot again, you know. And um, when I went on that cruise, I remember posting a picture about it. And I was like, you know, I'm going to enjoy the downtime. And that's really it. And when I get back, it's just back to work and uh, go from there. And so you're able to like rebound and get your mental where it needs to be, like get your confidence back. real, And you were able to just kind of reason with yourself and realize that this was a uh, a situation that doesn't happen you know, a hundred percent of the time, 50% of the time, 20% of the time, you know? Yeah. And I think and, and that gave you clarity and confidence moving forward. Yeah. I think that's how you have to look at it. Um, it was a nasty knockout. That's probably up there as one of the most brutal knockouts um, in terms of how long I was down. I didn't come to like, come back to my senses. Like I was awake, but I didn't come back to my senses where I supposedly kept asking the same questions over and over. I have no recollection of that time period from the knee when I saw the knee as I shot in and I went lights out 
I didn't come to until I was in the hospital on the, on the, um, the bed. And I literally wake up and it was like, my eyes just opened, even though I was awake, my, but it felt like my eyes just opened, like fade from white to black and then back to color. And then I'm looking around. I'm like, and then all I, as I look around, I see the bed and I just put my head back. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. I literally started laughing about it. I was like, <laughs> I was like, this is unreal. This is a dream right now. Yeah. This is a dream right now. So you even you still did at that point, you didn't even know how you got knocked out. You didn't know really. Well, I remember anything. the knee, but that's why I laughed. I was like, I can't believe I did that. And then my brother was like, yo, man, you keep asking me the same questions. Oh <laughs> and my I was God. like, I'm telling you, I am actually here right now. I shot face first into a knee. I got plastered. It hurt, but I don't feel anything. Here I am. And he was like, "Oh, you really are back now." And yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it was it, it was a it was a scary time, man. But um, it's one of those things like anything. And you had life. concussion. And you had concussion symptoms, I think, for a while. Not uh, from that right. one. Not, not from, from that, that one. one. I had concussion symptoms from the Zabit sparring session, where I actually didn't even go out. It just a kick to the back of my neck. I saw like I like it was one of those things where you get hit and your head buzzes. It's like ding. When and was that? Was that? Was that? It was after the Marais fight. It was after the Marais fight. <sighs> Wait, I I might have lied. Yeah, it was. It was actually, definitely after. Yeah. It was definitely no, it was after. Bef- it, was, it was before. It was after was I before? fought a Sun Sal. Okay. I yeah. fought a Sun Sal in January. It happened in February, and then I got knocked out by Marlon. Bro, that was cr- that was Marlin crazy. That December. was crazy. Like that sparring yeah. session. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I still got the video of it just to remind myself, like, wow. <laughs> like, I'm a weird guy like that. Like, some people might be like, why would you ever want to watch that? But that's just, I don't know. I, I might. Can you explain? Can you explain what happened different. since you're, we keep beating around the bush? Or you don't want well, to? Well, we, we sparred Ray and Mark Henry are in the gym, and they bring this guy who I've never heard of, never seen before. Yeah. I knew he was, I knew he was ridiculous because I was hearing about him and, um, What's his last name? Megamedo? No, Zabit, what? Uh, uh, Magomed Sharapov. Ma- Magomed Sharapov. There you go. <laughs> Look at this guy. Re- Weekly scraps. Make sure to subscribe to his, his podcast. Um, he's way bigger than Aljamain. He is a huge 45-pounder. Uh, um, yeah. And he was way bigger than Aljamain in there. And it wasn't like this vicious sparring going on. You know, It wasn't like Zabit was trying to kill him or anything like that. It just... It, I'll let you finish. I'll let you explain what happened. He, he ragdolled me a couple of times. Sometimes I was thinking about even posting the video where he tossed me. I threw a switch kick. And it was almost like he laughed because it like tickled him. And he just caught it. Yeah. And he steps in and hits this ridiculous judo sweep, kicks out my leg. So I throw a left switch kick. He catches it, catches it like this, which is like the complete wrong way because you can yeah. get kicked in the head. Catches it, steps in and sweeps me out with his left leg. And I just go flying. He just tosses me. And I almost topple like right on my head. And my back goes splat, and I'm just ready to go jujitsu mode. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, come down here, come down here. <laughs> I'm like, I was like, turtle, turtle, turtle. <laughs> I feel like at one point, did you shoot a shot and like he grabbed you, like crotch lifted you, and just like picked you up and like you, there was no way you were finishing. He was just too big just, for you or something. He like double over me, picked me up, and just tossed me. Yeah, and I was like, this guy is man versus child right now. I'm like, nothing. That's I- when I was scared. I'm like. I'm like, yeah. I just want Aljamain to get through this round. My timing was off with the takedowns, but I don't think even if my timings were on, I don't. I still think I get tossed a couple times. But I learned that there are levels to like judo and wrestling, a guy's height and his weight. And I'm like, 
I just got a crash course in everything, everything in biomechanics. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it was a tough sparring session. I felt like I had a lot more success with the boxing in comparison to everything else, which was weird because he was so much longer than I was. But I felt like he wasn't as comfortable with his hands, but they were fast. But he wasn't as comfortable throwing combinations, but he would kick and it was quick. It was ninja-like. And he threw a 360 spinning um, back kick, round kick. I closed my eyes and it waxed me in the back of my neck and I ducked my head and I just felt like a baseball bat. Like you just hear it go. And then from there, I felt like I fell back in slow motion, like, and I'm watching him. I'm literally watching him as my head is ringing. It's like, like those, you know, those memes where the guy like um, Anthony Joshua got hit by Ruiz and his body went packing like the spirit. And it would, <laughs> that's how I felt. I felt like my spirit got knocked out of me. And it was like, all right, I'm going to find my suitcase. It's time to go home. It's <laughs> 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 crazy. That's what you're thinking. And I, this is how I, yeah, it's uh, it was, it was a wild experience. And uh, I had vertigo pretty bad from that. <clears throat> Surprisingly, like the fight with Jan, I didn't have any severe post side effects. The only thing I had was after that night, well, later that night, I threw up um, a little bit, and um, that was pretty much about it. But uh, I was just glad I didn't have any vertigo or anything like that because he hit me in the temple, man. It wasn't like he hit me in the chin where Marlon hit me and it was just like, all right, lights out, turn it back on. It's a beat yeah. hit me in the back of the head. I had vertigo for weeks. And for this, that one was just to the temple. So I got nervous. I'm like, I've never been hit here really hard. So I, I don't know what's going to happen. And I kind of got really nervous that the UFC was trying to push me into a, a rematch for May. Um, I was like, dude, I need a little bit more time. I got my head separated yeah. from my spine. Let me, yeah, yeah. let me cool it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I remember my Musashi, obviously I've had some bad looking knockouts. The worst uh, symptoms I've had concussion wise was actually after the Musashi fight, which everybody thought I was faking. I wasn't really hurt and whatever. He hit me with uh, some knees that the referee thought was illegal. So he stops it. And I didn't like I was I was tired, definitely, but I was rocked for sure. But they didn't look like anything. He was he had me in like a front headlock position, but over both yeah. my arms, so I couldn't defend myself. And he was picking my hands up. And that was when the rules were you had to have uh your palm and your the the pads, this part of your finger. Everything, everything on your hand has to be flat to the ground. If it comes up a little bit, if this part of your hand comes up at all, it's you're not grounded anymore, you could be need. And there was confusion with that, whatever. So I put my hands down. He picks my up a little bit. My fingertips are still on the ground. And he needs me. Then he needs me again. The referee stops it. That's illegal. That's illegal. All right, you got five minutes. So I'm sitting there. And uh, next thing I know, they're like, you know, all right, they're, they, they're trying to go back to replay, but they're not allowed to go back to replay. They did. They saw that it was actually a legal knee because my 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 fingertips were still down, but the palms weren't down. And basically they said, like, I took already three and a half, four minutes of a break but because it was, they were, should have never ever stopped it, they stopped the fight. And afterwards, even though they didn't look like anything, I could, anytime I laid down and closed my eyes, I was just spinning out of control, like yeah. in the craziest spins. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. Almost like probably th for like three, four weeks. I had to sleep sitting up to, to make it stop. I, I slept standing up. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> Is it the Jetsons that do that or something? Or uh, the Coneheads? The Coneheads sleep. They sleep standing up. Um, all right. So, and you're able to overcome all that crap. So let's get into the Peter Young fight. Go tell me what the hell happened that night. I know what happened. You've already told me, but 
for the people, let's be honest. I'm asking you, why was that not the best Aljamain Sterling in there that night? Um, go ahead. I mean, so if anyone's ever watched my fights, they, they know that's not even a glimpse of one, my gas tank, and two, just uh, my efficiency, I will say. And my thought process, I had a great morning shakeout. We couldn't leave because of COVID to go get food, which we normally do. We normally have a, like a buffet style breakfast with the team or we go somewhere and get like a big breakfast kind of thing. Because of COVID, we weren't allowed to leave the hotels. So I ate the UFC PI food, which was literally two eggs, two pancakes, two small pancakes. <laughs> and they're probably and, not. They're probably cold. They're in the tub of water. It's, it's, it's fascinating because I didn't even give it a thought of like day of why. That, that was all I was eating before the biggest fight of my life and uh, the longest fight of my life and the latest fight of my life. You know, I was fighting much later than what I normally fight fight at. When I You can ask Ray, you can ask Eric, Dennis, all the guys that were in my corner, how my morning shakeout was. And I felt like I was going to smoke this guy. I was like, all the stars are aligned. After that, we went to go eat. That's what I had for dinner. That's what I had for breakfast. Hey, you know, Ray's on, Ray's on the text messages to me. I got to tell you, the guy looks good. Wow. Unbelievable and in that morning workout. Wow. I, f- I felt like I was like, yo, this is my time, man. I really did feel like that. I was like, this guy, if I perform like this, this guy's not going to be able to touch me. And I'm going to show why I've been saying what I've been saying for so long. And unfortunately, um, this was like at 1020 in the morning. So after we finished up the morning shakeout, 1020 in the morning, shower up, whatever, eat my breakfast, my slow, small breakfast. I'm getting everything ready. And I just started feeling weak. I just felt like something felt wrong. Like I felt like fatigue just start to set in all of a sudden, like maybe like an hour later. But I didn't think, yo, you should probably eat. Because normally I only eat that one big breakfast and now I'll go fight like three or four o'clock in the afternoon or in the evening, I should say. (laughs) And uh, that wasn't the case, man. Um, I went into the fight. and Wait, so you're saying you ate that and then you literally did not eat lunch or anything? I didn't have anything. Is it because Anything. you did you were you hungry or you just I, obviously I, you're nervous? No one. Eat, it's hard to eat that. It's lunch. hard to eat. It's that's why I, that's why I eat so much in the beginning, because I know I'm not going to be able to eat again later in the day. It's very I force feed myself and it's so yeah. hard. And that's what I do in the morning. I force feed myself in the morning and I'm like, all right, we crushed everything now. I'm going to be good on calories. All I need to do is stay hydrated. That's it. So for this. After like two hours goes by and I still feel like this, I'm like, yo, I can't shake this feeling. Like everything just feels like it just like, like I just ran a marathon or I just lifted weights and I just have this ridiculous pump where it feels like my arms are super heavy. Like my lungs felt fine. It was just my lungs, my, my arms and my, my legs just felt super heavy, super fatigued. And uh, this is like in the locker room. This is in, this is during the day before we even get to the locker room. Mm. Then, you know, as the time is going by, I'm like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Hopefully I shake this by the time I get to the locker room. Yeah. Meanwhile, from that time, I still haven't eaten anything. And I fought at 8.30 p.m. So I didn't eat anything from that big ass window. So 10 to 8.30 p.m. You did not eat. 10, 10 a.m. 10, so let's say 10.30. So from 10.30 to 8.30. And that was after How a 20-minute hard workout. The morning shakeout. I'm going to say it's 14 hours. Just, just going to take a guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was that is. was that was a hard morning workout, and I I didn't eat anything from that. Well, I had that one the, the two eggs, two pancakes. And I haven't had anything from that all the way to the night of the fight. 
um, until 11 o'clock at night when I got back from the hospital. Um, so that, that was that. So in my head going into the fight, like after all that happened, like my thoughts of oh, I'm going to dominate went to how am I going to win this fight? Cause I feel like absolute dog crap, like dog shit. And in my head, I'm thinking if I could just win the first three rounds, I win the fight. That's all I was telling myself. I didn't tell Ray. I didn't tell the Lemmy. I didn't tell Dennis. I was like, yo, I'm going to keep it to myself. I'm not going to, I don't want to freak anybody out. Cause you know how Ray is. Ray is always like, <sighs> how are we feeling? How are we feeling? If you say anything other than great, he's going, like, I'm going to ask you again. You know, something's like, yeah. I don't, I don't want to do that right now. Yeah. So I, I didn't want to have anyone in a panic. Cause at that point it felt like the ships already sailed. So it is. Yeah, I was like, I got to make the walk, but this is how I'm thinking. I'm like, yo, if I could scum this guy for three rounds and just outpoint him, exhaust myself, maybe get one takedown, I can win this fight and stall the last 10 minutes is going to be the most boring 10 minutes of everyone's life. I'm just going to circle, but I'm going to win the fight. That's all how I How crazy is this that you, 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 you do a whole training camp, you feel great in the morning, and then literally walking out, it's like, I just got to win three rounds. Yeah, I got to figure out a way we win three rounds in the biggest fight of your life for the world championship. The moment you've been waiting for your entire life out of nowhere. This is where your brain is at. It's crazy. It's it's wild. It's really wild. And it's uh, it's unfortunate, too, man, because like I felt like I did everything right. I left no stones unturned. Like and it kind of bothered me when people were saying, like, you should do your entire training camp in New York. You know, that maybe this wouldn't have. I'm like. Dude, you can't tell me what I've done. I've been through some. I've been through some gauntlets for that training camp to get to where I was. To be able to be in the shape that I was in, sparring with three different bodies, three different fresh bodies, and doing five rounds and keeping that pace that I had in the first round—that's hard to do. So no one can ever tell me like you weren't in shape for that fight. I was in shape. I just wasn't there. You mm -hmm. know. So uh, my strategy of winning three rounds—it it didn't happen. Um, I won one and two on one scorecard and at the end of the day man he did the illegal knee i felt like it was his fight to win it was a layup fight you know he would have looked like a freaking a world beater and he was looking like a world beater but that's why i don't feel let down i don't feel discouraged because i know the difference of who i am and the person that was in there with this guy and if i really felt like i was outclassed Hey, man, I got stuff to work on. And I'm not saying that. And I'm not saying that for a reason. So anyone that wants to doubt it, I'm like, dude, you can say whatever you want. I was the guy in there with them. I know what I felt. And if I truly felt I was being outmatched, I'm not trying to sell any fight. I'm a very honest, open book. I would have said it like, yeah, that guy's better than me. I, I got away with one and I have no problem saying that. And I know I got some work to do to close the gap. I don't feel like that. And I feel like I just need to pick up where I left off get a little bit cleaner and hopefully that doesn't happen again because at that point it's just going to be like, all right, you're just an idiot at that point for you to let that happen to you two times in a row. That's just on me. So yeah. uh, he was better that night. And unfortunately for, for, unfortunately for him, he was the one that forgot to read the rule book. And I think he was getting frustrated, which is why he, all of a sudden you decide to make a big mistake like that on, in, in one of the biggest fights of your career where you're going to get a huge payday is like, why would you do something like that? Yeah. In the fourth round at that, it's like you're winning the fight. You're cruising to a decision um, and maybe even a finish. I don't think he was going to finish me, but that's what people were saying. I'm like, dude, he hit me with some big shots. I don't think I was going anywhere. You know, I was going to be there the entire time. Yeah. Now, what they end up finding out was it one of his coaches in Russian or something told him the knee or something when you were down. What, what, what happened with that? Do you know? 
Yeah, I think he asked, can I kick? Or I think the the coach said, kick, kick. And then the other guy said, punch, punch, no punch. And he threw the knee. I'm freaking believable. I mean, listen, it's no way you want to win a world championship. Um, but you had all these things happen to you, you know, leading up to this fight, the way your mentality shifted going in there, you did everything right. You walked forward and brought the fight to this guy. You never, you never stopped. No matter how tired you are, you gave a hundred percent effort. You know, you were losing the fight, but then you weren't in, you know, best form, your Aljamain's form. I didn't know, you know, I hated watching it because I just knew how good you really are. And I knew something was off. But at the end of the day, you walking forward, doing everything you possibly can to fight this guy, Peter Jan, who's a who's a freaking savage, and under those circumstances, never gave up. And then he decides to knee you in the head completely illegally, completely, no questions of how obvious it was that he hit you with an illegal knee. And then for you to you deserve the championship, 100%. It's your title. You win. Now you don't take the belt. You don't take the belt, and I think a lot of the issues and all these people can't stand is that now that belt is right there. Now, go through all that, go through all that and how you're handling that and where your thoughts are on with that for me. I, I think it's just it was a silly thing for people to be upset about because they were upset that I didn't take the belt, which I didn't. I got home. Do you regret broke. not taking the belt? No. Cause that wasn't the way I want to win. And I was kind of, I was, my, my brain was a little all over the place when I was exhausted, I was fatigued. And, um, my mindset was just all over the place. I confused, had so probably concussed. You just yeah. got hit with a crazy knee. The fact that you didn't even, even I, get put to sleep with that knee is crazy to me. Yeah. And I was just like, yo, my, my, my mental capacity at that point was just like, I had thoughts all over the place. I didn't really understand what was going on. I thought the fight was going to be a no contest and I thought um, I was never getting another title shot again. That's these are all the thoughts going through my head. And on top of that, my head hurts <laughs> of all the shots. I took that fight. That was the worst one that I took. And it was the one I didn't see. And it was the one that was illegal for a reason. Um, so people were mad that I went back home and uh, I had about 30 people at my house that flew in from California, flew in from New York, Flew in from uh, Florida and uh, all the, all my friends, family that even friends I haven't even seen since like maybe college, a couple of years since college. So many people came out to hang out and uh, for me to realize a dream chasing something that I've been chasing for so long. And then the fight goes like that. I have probably and I can't even say it's the worst performance of my life. It was sloppy, 100 percent sloppy. But in terms of my attitude in that, I felt like I fought as hard as I could fight, given my circumstances. And yeah. I was proud. That's, I was all you proud could That's all you could ask for. Yeah. And I was like, no one could ever tell me anything. Like, even after that first round, I walked back, knowing I was exhausted. Dana's, Dana's over here clapping, and he's doing this. Like, And I'm like, it sucks because to see your boss doing that, knowing that it's such a great fight, I'm like, damn, I just, it sucks that he doesn't even know that I can't keep this pace because I am dead tired right now. Dead tired. Not even because of that round, because I, I was dead tired coming into this fight. Um, but you were like a you were zombie in forward. Like you didn't that, give a shit. Your mentality was strong as hell. Yeah. I was like, yo, you got to just suck it up. 
And if you can win three rounds, you win the fight. That's all yeah, I was thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you can somehow steal three rounds, just yeah. steal three rounds by coming forward with pressure. And if he slips up and gives you a takedown, try to hold his back. I'm like, these are all the thoughts I'm thinking. I'm like, I just got to figure out a way to win. And that was, that was just my mentality. Just find a way to get it done. And, and you're here. The ship has sailed already. You can't go back and turn back time. Um, so I get home, friends and family, everyone's going you know, saying whatever, congratulating me or whatever. I was like, yeah, I don't feel like I deserve a congratulations, but I, I, we did a toast. I took a sip of champagne and, but before I even, before I even took the sip of champagne, I gave a toast and the speech was, thank you guys for all coming out. Unfortunately, this was probably the one of the worst fights of my career. Um, I didn't perform the way I should have performed. I'm sorry about that. I thank you guys for all flying out here and spending all your money to come out here and watch me. Um, it means a lot to me. And uh, hopefully we get to do it again and we get to do it the right way and bring home the belt the right way. And I appreciate every one of you. Cheers, toast, sip of champagne, put it down. And uh, I got crucified for that because I was partying. I was told I was partying. I was told that I was getting shit faced. It, it, it was like the stuff that made no sense. Cause it's like, how do you even know any of this? And you weren't even there. And that was the most frustrating part because I'm, I was defending myself trying to say like, guys, I wasn't even drinking. And I thought to a point where I was like, yo, these people don't even care. They're just mad that PDN was stupid and he lost the fight and it's on him and I have the belt. So I got to the point where I could stop defending myself and I realized these people don't give a crap about anything but their guy. It was almost like a McGregor cult. Um, even when McGregor's wrong, people are still backing him, even when he does real asshole things, you know? Yeah. So um, it is what it is. And that's why I started floating the belt and started putting it in people's faces. I had the belt and just put it in the, in the case covering and had it just locked away in the closet because I was like, whatever. And then when I kept getting trolled, I was like, you know what? You guys, you guys want to be petty? I'm going to be petty back. And yes, I am the champ. I get paid more money. I get pay-per-view points. Suck it. Yeah. That's how I felt. And I was you like, went you, know he, you went heel. You went Russian heel. That was, that was my mentality at that point. I'm like, you guys are the worst type of fans. Like the fans that are here and the ones, the ones that were worse were not even the ones that were saying that they were young fans. I get that. The ones that were saying <laughs> I used to be a fan, but now I'm not. I'm like, you were never a fan. Because true fans don't leave someone because of a tough op a tough moment in someone's career, someone's life. So um, it is what it is. I think anybody who hears that, uh, whether you're a, a you know a huge fan of Peter Jan or not, like obviously you're going to support your boy, you're going to support Russian. Um, if you understand that what happened to Aljamain, he gave he went in that octagon not at 100 percent and did everything he possibly could to win. Even though he was completely exhausted in the biggest fight of his life, he never stopped moving forward and doing everything he possibly could to win. Gets illegally need, doesn't take the belt because he doesn't feel like this is the way he wants to win. Goes back to his Las Vegas house and he's there. And I know a lot of people were there and they all were exactly on the same page, page as Aljamain. There's no lies being said here like he's trying to, you know, you know, make people like him. It's, that's obviously not – he's not trying to do, be that guy. He didn't want to wear the belt. People in the house wanted to, you know, come on, you're the champion, the champion. And guess what? The fact is, is that he is the champion and that he deserves to wear that belt. 
he should be proud of everything that he's done in his whole career to get to the point of fighting for the belt and then winning the belt. And he should be able to put it on without being shamed for it. But just know that he's put the belt on. He didn't really like the idea of it at that time. Put it on, took a picture, did the toast, explained exactly the way he explained it to his friends and family that this is not the best situation, not the best he's ever fought. He apologized to people, which is he shouldn't have even done. So nothing but humble, humbleness coming out of Al Jermaine. And then he sees that people are still pissing all over him. You know, the, the Yan fans are going overboard. You know, Russians are very humble people. Al Jermaine was nothing but humble. He did nothing wrong. And yet you guys are crucifying him, calling him this clown. He's a fake champion. I get supporting your guy. But if you actually really understand the situation and if you actually uh, think logically, there's no way your logic stands up. You actually should be a fan of Al Jermaine. There's nothing that he did wrong at all. He was a humble champion. And the fact that you guys attacked him, he said, you know what? I'm going to start wearing the belt everywhere. I'm going to take this to a whole nother level just to be like, F you guys. Why not? At the end of the day, more people talking about him, better for him, more money in his pocket. He's the champion. He's getting paid pay review points. He's going to this Jan fight and he's going to make more money than he's ever made in his life. And it's a success story. It's a complete success story. And I just want people to think logically about what he just said and the way he explained it, because then there's no reason why you shouldn't be a fan of Algerman. Algerman hasn't ran away from the public eye during the situation. He's not running away off Twitter. He's not afraid to engage with fans, whether you like him or dislike him. I mean, he's really, he's really uh, a great asset for mixed martial arts, and he's not getting the credit that he deserves at all. I just felt like I needed to say that because it's it is it's annoying to see the lack of respect that you get, not obviously from the Yan fans, but the American fans, but they're not thinking logically. Do they understand why you're doing what you're doing now with the belt? I mean, I it, it, it makes it makes perfect sense. Well, there you go. If you didn't know, now you know. So shut up. Shut up. There's no reason to hate on Algemin anymore. It's ridiculous. Um, so here we go. We're now we're fighting him October 30th. Yeah. How are we feeling? What are we doing differently going into this one? What's our training camp look like? And I know we, we've been on here for a while, but I feel like these are the important things that we're going to end up cutting up and people can see. Um, what's different for this training camp, if anything? And are we going to eat the day of the, of the fight? We're definitely going to eat the day of the fight. <laughs> <laughs> if, if I were to do that again, I'm just a complete moron at that point. Um, and I deserve to lose. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a uh, training camp is going to be pretty much the same for me, man. I, I look at like even my Sanhagen fight. I did that in a garage, most of it in a garage at Al's house. And uh, we use five people, I think at most. And one of the best performances of my life over a very, very tough dude who people think, would beat me in a rematch, even though he still does the same mistakes that he's been doing from the stuff that I picked up on in that fight. Um, I don't think the issue is the training camp. I think the issue is just making sure I show up. And I think um, going back to the gauntlet, like the way I did for the first two fights with Pideon, where he pulled out the first time for undisclosed reasons, maybe mm -hmm. USADA. I don't know. They might have some answers for that. Wow. Um, wow. 
that's just my, fired. That's just, that's just my thoughts, you know. And uh, he could hate it or, or not like it, whichever. I don't. know. So you care. you think he might have failed the drug test? No, no, I don't think he failed anything. I think he might have just been uh, running from it. Yeah, I don't know. That's like, what I think. Because if you guys don't know, let's just throw it all out there. Like, listen, as as a UFC athlete, you could be tested randomly anytime. Uh, but there are some guys who obviously know how to beat the system. And I know some of the ways you could do it is like, oh, you're on vacation or you went camping. You know, there's certain things that they they can't certain times they can't test you. You know, like you're not going to get tested. That's, you know, before 6 a.m., you mm-hmm. know, or after 12 at night. So guys could do microdosing, you know, little bits, tiny bits of stuff. You know, you need a doctor. You need like, you know, there's probably some, you know, legit people around you to make sure you're not going to possibly fail the test. But there's people that they do this. There's no question. So. You're saying that he was he went away or he tried to have, what what do you explain what you what you think he was doing? Well, he, I don't know. He pulled out of the first fight, undisclosed reasons. They was the UFC tried to say he had an injury. Meanwhile, this guy is on Instagram posting himself working out. I'm like, all right, clearly the UFC is lying right to our faces. <clears throat> then people were trying to cover for him and say it was a visa, but he did an interview saying he got his visa. So I'm like, what other reasons could it possibly be that he has to pull out of the fight? And then someone was trying to say that maybe his kid had COVID or something like that. But uh, I, I messaged him on Instagram, on Instagram, actually. <laughs> and I asked him why he was pulling out the fight. And he didn't say anything about why he was pulling out the fight. He just said, Alja, I really, really want to fight with you. But you have to wait. You have to wait and we would fight. And I'm just like, I don't know what this even means. But he pulled out of the fight. You know what I mean? For whatever reason it was, I didn't do that despite all my neck injuries and stuff, whatever. Um, I just think it's just the type of person I am versus the type of guy that he is. So um, whatever, man, it is what it is. We're going to fight again. I just like to start, start a pot, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I hear you. I all right, like so just pot. put it out there. Listen, Al Jermaine thinks Uzada might have been involved with somehow. Oh, he, he somehow was uh, trying to skirt by the uh, Uzada people. Um but we have no evidence of this. This is uh, Al Jermaine getting Don't ready for his saying. title fight against uh, Peter Yan to defend his belt for the first time, October 30th, Abu Dhabi. And uh, I'm excited for that fight, man. I'm yeah, really excited I, for that fight. It's, it's nice, feeling good, man. You would know, get into neck surgery, the uh, mm. artificial disc replacement, artificial. And you were having neck issues for a long time, too. Like 10 years, and people were saying it's a fake injury. Why get it now? I'm like, you guys don't even know. I was going to pull out of the first fight, but then Jan did it for me by pulling out himself. Um, because my neck issue kept flaring up the first time I ever had a cortisone. Is, is it bad to say that as a, you become the champion of the world, you finally do what you've been trying to accomplish your whole life? You got a guaranteed biggest payday ever coming up next. Is it maybe a good time to take care of an injury? An injury? That'd I would be a good so. time. Is that like a, a thing that people should be shamed to say? You know, maybe all right, this is finally like a time I could take a second and figure out my body. Yeah, but even for me, win or lose, we're we were had this on the table. The surgery was on the table, win or lose. You know, it just got to the point where after the fight, it actually got worse. So mm-hmm. I actually had to get it done because of the atrophy that I was having. I'm still experiencing a little not muscle weakness, but I still have some atrophy in my arm where some positions I feel like I have like a tingling sensation down my arm. And it's like, it's not, it almost felt like what the nerve pain would have been before they took it out. You know what I mean? The old disc it's um, 
it's weird. It's kind of eerie. It's an eerie type of feeling. It's almost That's like a weird. Yeah, because like, it yeah. wouldn't be it wouldn't be, you have an artificial disc so now it, there's no way that the disc is sitting on the nerve there's nothing there's no there's no yeah. herniations available to sit on the nerve so unless it's a different nerve a different herniation a different bulging disc something top top of the nerve but if it feels similar in the same spot then it's probably that same nerve i wonder if it's messed up somewhere not actually in the neck but the nerve is being entangled somewhere in the shoulder or tricep yeah probably it's just like when I do like some type of arm stretches, I'll feel like a shooting sensation down my arm, but it's not like nerve pain. It feels like what the nerve pain felt. It's weird because I'm saying that it feels like nerve pain, but it doesn't. It just feels like a, it feels like a void in my body. It's like stretching. But I it's, think it's like, like you ever hear of uh, nerve flossing. It, it's like, like uh, you're stretching your nerve. Yeah, but it's not. I know what the nerve flossing feels okay. like when okay. uh, they do it at the PI all the time, but yeah. it's not that it, it okay. feels very different. But whatever. I, I'm just glad I'm I'm good to go. Um, it's nice to not have to take time off from training. There's been times I had to take up to a week off just to let my neck cool down from all the stress that it was going through, you know, and, and you would feel like a piece of crap because I'm like, how am I going to get ready for a world title fight when I have to take a week off from training where I'm going to fight this guy that everyone thinks is a killer? And I say he's not, you know, he beat a lot of good guys, but, you know, my resume is better. But um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, you could, you, could shit on, you could shit on his resume if you want. Yeah. So it's like, um, like when I had to deal with those type of injuries and to now to not have to do that, I can wrestle, I can do jujitsu full, full, full training and not have to worry about the flare up the next day or the next over the course of the next week going to affect my sparring, you know? So that's been a big relief. And, um, it's nice to be able to do, like you said before, man, to be able to do more. And it's not like I was doing less, but I would have to train smart where I would have to be very diligent with how I warmed up the partners I would go with because anyone got on my neck. I had to tap right away. If not, they cranked it. I was back in that position again, where I had to take a couple of days off from training, you know? So that's not a good way to go through a training camp. And um, it's nice to actually be healthy. And I, I do thank the UFC for paying for the surgery and taking care of me. And that's in that regards. And they sent me to the best guy that I feel um, who is world renowned for that procedure in itself, you know? So what was the uh, name again? Dr. Robert Watkins Jr., you know, so. Yeah, California. California. <laughs> he, he, um, did he do Peyton Manning's neck? Peyton Manning, a yeah, bunch of other yeah. guys, yeah. I spoke to him on the phone before uh, one of my neck surgeries. Yeah, you know, so I'm Legit happy where guy. I'm at. And uh, I, I just can't wait to get out there and perform again. Uh, right now, the, the main struggle, and this is just being honest, has been getting back into shape. I feel physically, like, strong again. So the cardio, after having, like, two strong. You don't look training, strong. But I'm glad you feel strong. No, just <laughs> but to have two good weeks under my belt now of, of uh, conditioning and sparring and all that stuff, it's night and day. You, you feel like your body transforming, you know, and I can see the results in the mirror. So I, I feel good about that. And I can't wait to get back to where I used to be. I had a hard sparring session with Marab on last week, last weekend. It was very, very tough. Um Whatever. You know, what, so. What, it's so amazing that you guys have each other. I mean, the yeah. machine for you to be able to have that guy with you, same weight class for years now. I mean, pushing each other. And I mean, just a, another humble guy. You don't have to worry about any bad blood or weird shit. You know, sometimes it's weird tension being in the same weight class. Zero of that. That guy's family. 
the only tension I have with him is when we're about to spar, I'm like, all right, I know it's going to be a tough day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's almost like one of those, you know, when, uh, and it won't work with him, you know, like back in the day, it's like, you know, you've, I, you and a wrestling partner both kind of want to take it easy today. Hey, let's, uh, you go 50%, I'll go 50%. Let's just pretend like we're going hard. One of those, you can't have that with Marab. There's no like, yo, can we just go easier today, please? <laughs> right? Can you do that? Yeah, he'll, he'll say like, yeah, maybe we go light, you know, light, light. And then somehow, some way within like a couple of seconds, it's turned up. Like someone just turned the dial, like slowly cranked it up. <laughs> That's what it's like with him sometimes. The machine. But it's funny because he says the same thing. I'm like the only one who gets him tired. But I'm like, really? Because I feel like, I don't know. It's just probably those two forces of both. You guys of are great for each other. Like yeah. you guys both complement each other probably better than any other style would. You know, like he is a tough goer, wrestler, you know, grappler, hits hard. Like he, he, he brings it all. And then you are the dynamic, athletic. He's not as athletic or talented. And wrestler, grappler, where like you guys hit into the middle. Like you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know who's going to have the good day. You know, <laughs> I'll tell you what, Aljamain, and, and, and Aljamain like takes someone's back, it's over. Marab does 17 Granby rolls in a row. You know, to get out of it, like the shit you have to, you got to hold on for dear life. You take his back. Most guys, you know, it's like pretty like easy and methodical for you. That guy is just, he's a complete animal all the time. Uh, it's, I love watching you guys spar. Yeah. He knows like once I settle into that position, he knows he's there for the rest of the round. He's funny. We always talk about it. It's like, you know, I got to just keep moving because I know if you get the hooks in, that's it. You know, I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's my rest. I got to make <laughs> you work and then I rest. <laughs> yeah. And and I say, and I say this, everybody might as well say it on here is that, that I don't know anybody who's as good on the back in MMA for sure than you. Like when you get someone's back, when you take my back, you know, it's a scary place to be. You're so comfortable there. Your legs lock that figure four so easy. I wish I could do that. Um, so I know in any fight, no matter what, like, look what you did to Stanhagen. That's ridiculous. That guy is a freaking animal. And you, you, no one's ever done that to him. Made him look like, you, I mean, you just do- completely dominated him, took everything away from him. You're capable of dominating everybody in the UFC, you know, because no one's going to be able to deal with, deal with that. You know, your, your attributes are just too much greater than their attributes in that situation. Uh, when it comes to grappling, like this, you're gonna look world class against anybody in the UFC when you're on. Yeah, you know what I what I've seen. Like, there's nobody creating a competitive grappling match with you when you're on. I think I just gotta, yeah, I just gotta be on and firing, man. Once I feel like once I feel good, I, I'm just everything just comes together. It's like I just know what I need to do. No, I can see the timing of my takedowns and see everything. And once, if I take you down, I don't care if you get up because that's when I get the back. I get the back when people try to get up. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for the future, man. I I do really do believe that with that Pideon fight, like I said, all I needed was one takedown. But I was so, even when I got that takedown, I got it so easily. I was actually surprised. And from all the trash talk that was happening, I actually really want to hurt him. Like there was not a guy I think that I really want to hurt as bad that when I took him down, I'd even try to control him. I just started throwing hammer fists like a ma- like a maniac. Yeah, you know, and, that's not normal. Yeah. And once I started doing that, he got right back up. And I was like, that was the dumbest thing I could have possibly done. You didn't do that with Sanhagen. 
yeah, I, I just took us back. I was like, I'm going to just strangle this guy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, let's do that again. Yeah. So now I'm like, you know what? When I do get the takedown this time, just be a little bit smarter, control the position, let him work, let him get tired. And then you start to drain his battery pack, drain his energy. I've trained with the guys that he fought that beat him, Magomedov. I, I trust me, man, I've had some really good sessions. So there's no lack of confidence where mm. I am in my abilities because I know what I'm capable of. I'm comfortable in my own skin. I just know what I need to do. And I just got to go out there and do it. And uh, it's going to be a good night. So, um, and that's no disrespect to Magomed or any of those guys. Those guys are tough guys, him, Timor, all those guys. But um, obviously training is training. It's not a fight. It's training. But it gives me confidence to know where I am in my grappling yeah, abilities. Absolutely. You know? And I think that's what training is for. Yeah. Like, you know, people might, they watch this and they're like, oh, he's just brainwashing himself, trying to make himself... Listen, Aljamain, you've it's the, you fought the best guys in the world already. You've sparred with the best guys in the world. You have sparred with guys who have beat him, you know, in Russia. I don't know how long ago. You know where you're at. You know what you're capable of doing. So I know that. You know that. And the world is going to know that on October 30th. Um, I'm going to just wrap this up now. Like, your your story is something that a lot of people could take uh, – can learn a lot from and get a lot of mo motivation and inspiration from your kid who came from relatively nothing, you know, parents who were immigrants from Jamaica, uh, grew up in a tough neighborhood, didn't have much, a lot of tough things have, have, that you had to push through. You never felt sorry for yourself. You didn't victimize yourself. You went on to become a, uh, you got your bachelor's degree in science and, you know, physical education. You became a multiple time all American in wrestling. Now you're a world champion in the UFC. You have accomplished so much. It, it's given me goosebumps even talking about it because I know where you came from and what you and, and now where you're at. So I just want you to realize that that you are a role model to a lot of kids. And I really hope the MMA world starts appreciating you more and pushes you the correct way because I think you have a lot of influence and could do some great things uh, for this world. So I, I really hope you go out there October 30th, get the job done. And just be yourself. Keep being yourself. And I think uh, sky's the limit, man. Al Jermaine, thank you for uh, coming on the show. <laughs> Love you. I will uh, talk to you soon. Good luck on October 30th. I really want to know now, after hearing that full story, if you still dislike him, if you still think he did something wrong, if you still feel like he isn't the champion, uh, put yourself in his shoes and tell me if you would have done something differently. I'm really just curious. The hate that he's getting, I think, is so unjustified. And um, I'm curious to hear you guys' opinions. Again, if you want to go check out that video of the conversation, it's over on my YouTube channel. If you love Aljo like I love Aljo, also feel free to follow him and check out his podcast, The Weekly Scraps. We're going to put a link to that in the show notes. All right, before I go, I just want to read this podcast review from a fan of the show, The Zombie Lover, who says, Ariel Hawani would be proud. I've been really missing Ariel Hawani's podcast since he's been off and needed to find something to fill the void. Thank goodness I found Chris's podcast. He is an incredible host and asks so many really amazing questions and makes his guests feel at ease and comfortable to be open and honest. I've really enjoyed every single episode and look forward to listening every week. Great job, Chris, and thanks for all that you do. I appreciate that, zombie lover. Isn't that nice? And by the way, Ariel is back now, and I actually appeared on his show, The MMA Hour, last week. It was pretty awesome. 
a nice throwback. If you'd like to hear your review on next week's show, just head on over to Apple Podcasts, find Won't Back Down, give us a five-star rating, and leave some kind words. And in case you didn't know, Won't Back Down t-shirts are now available. If you'd like to purchase a shirt, we'll put a link in the show notes of this episode. All proceeds go to the Sons of the Flag, an organization that is vigilantly committed to supporting military, first responder, and civilian burn survivors by providing funding for innovative research. Thanks for supporting the show and a good cause. It really means the world to me. Have a great rest of the week and tell a friend about the show. Come back next week to hear another great conversation. But until then, I'm Chris Weidman, and this is Walk Back Down. Thanks for listening.